Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. 
the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Good morning, everyone. My name is Bernie. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I get this great privilege of doing this every once in a while. So I'll say, Christ is risen. You say he is risen indeed. Are you ready? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That never gets old. How good is that? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to have a think a little bit about some of the details of the resurrection. Okay, so how about I pray? Father, we give you great praise today. Thank you that you have raised Jesus from the dead. And Father, it just impacts everything that we know and think. Uh, We pray that uh, you would really help our brains mold according to how you want us to to understand, be able to receive what you give us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection is glorious and it's impressive in just so very many ways. Uh, The fact that Jesus was once dead and is now alive. That just blows apart so much of what we understand and it impacts so much of what we know. Today, we're going to discover how it impacts our very own bodies. Our bodies will be resurrected too. Now, I wonder, I wonder what images came to your mind when I said resurrection body. Uh, did you have in your mind white shiny wings, and perhaps a harp? Do you think of that? Or maybe your youthful self, you know, for those who are a little bit older in this, in this room, your youthful self, all smooth and blemish-free, full head of hair, pre-pimples and pre-sagginess. Have you, is, that, is that the picture that you got in your mind? Maybe it's not a body at all, just spirit that can fly and go through walls and even possess people. Or maybe, if you've watched enough movies, it's this zombie-like body you think of. Parts that are very much just falling apart with, you know, only one eye kind of thing. Interestingly enough, 
in 1 Corinthians, in the, like the original hearers of 1 Corinthians, they're probably thinking of that. The zombies walking around, how is that going to be so? Well, God goes into quite a bit of detail about what our resurrection bodies will be like. The details really help us to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' own resurrection. So after we, we take a look about what God says about it, I hope that you'll agree with God that it's actually really vitally important for each and every one of us. I want to point out three reasons why the resurrection body is important to us. Three reasons why the resurrection body is important to us. Firstly, because the, the resurrection body is superior. First reason. Second reason is because no one gets into God's kingdom without one. And thirdly, because it showcases God's grace. You ready? Firstly, the resurrection body is superior. Our Bible passage in 1 Corinthians starts with the Apostle Paul responding to the scoffing of some people in Corinth. They ask in verse 35, and you'll find the, uh, the outline in your leaflet. In verse 35 it says, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? They're not asking about the mechanics of how it's possible. They're questioning the possibilities. I mean, the picture that they got in their minds that they can't come to grips with is that of decomposing corpses walking around. How can that be? I mean, that's, that's the same with us today, isn't it? We'll, we've got troubles trying to come to grips with the fact that how can corpses come back to life? How can they even walk around? They were being foolish, according to the Apostle Paul, and he turns to an everyday example to show that what they deem ludicrous is somewhat displayed all around us. And the everyday example he uses is seed turning into plants, like wheat. Now, I'm no green thumb, but even I can appreciate how different a plant looks compared to its seed. If I see the seed of wheat for the first time, I'd have no idea, no idea what it turned out to be just by looking at the seed. I mean, for all I know, it turned out to be a bush with purple leaves and white polka dots. Who knows? What you sow in the ground turns out to be something very different in shape and size compared to what it was originally. Interestingly, Paul puts it this way, verse 36, it says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. A plant begins in one form, dies metaphorically in the ground, and then comes to life figuratively in a different form. And so the resurrection body, it starts in one form, dies quite literally, and then comes back to life literally in a different form. Even merely looking at plants, so it seems, like wheat, shows that a transformation of a body is possible, even normal in what we see all around us. Now, the next thing that's noted is how the forms of the bodies came to be. And far from the logic that says that everything exists because of this great cosmic accident uh, or a matter of chance, God says that everything has its form because he determines it. God determines it. And so verse 38, it says, But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. So every time you look 
at a seed, you know, a small little tiny seed, realized that God had determined its form. Every time you see a stalk of wheat, remember that God decided precisely how it would be made, how it would look like, down to its brand and to its kernel. Now, if that doesn't impress you, then consider what other kinds of bodies he's determined. He's made a variety, according to verses 39 and 40. The bodies of people, the bodies of animals and birds and the fish, even the stars in the sky, the sun and the moon and the planets, all the way down to your little dog, Snuffles, how he looks is the reason, the way that it looks, is because God had determined it down to its spots. The moon we see each night, fashioned by God, determined His way with all its spots. God determined it. And all these kinds of bodies each have their own kind of splendor. In verse 40, they are all impressive in their own ways, all because God had determined for it to be so. By God's design, we, get, we can see him building into his creation examples of bodies that change from one form to another. And each form is impressive. Isn't it amazing that we are no accident? We are no mistake, but we are beautifully and wonderfully made by God. Now God wants to show that... <clears throat> When it comes to the human body, it can change into something better, something superior when it is resurrected. He's continuing the seed analogy in verses 42 to 43, and we find here that the body that was sown is perishable, dishonorable, weak, and natural. I mean, the picture that we get of our present bodies, it isn't flattering, is it? But we ourselves know how fragile they are, how imperfect our bodies are, and temporary they are, and sometimes how poorly regarded they can be, and how earthly they can be. And that's why we have doctors. That's why we have the health insurance. It's also why we can sometimes despise our very own bodies and do harm to it. Now, I should make clear that God didn't create human bodies flawed and weak. He made bodies with much dignity and with much honor. It was our rejection of God and his design that led to the state of our present bodies. But by contrast, by contrast to our present bodies, the body that is raised, what is it? It is imperishable. It is glorious. It is powerful. It is spiritual. The picture we get of the resurrection body is that it is superior. It's incorruptible and eternal. And it's excellent. It's held in high honor and energized by the Spirit of God. It has changed to be superior. Like a seed, this body dies in one form, and it is raised in a different form, but this body starts inferior and ends superior. My body still needs water. It is inferior. 
Every time I hear that someone's getting some uh, surgery done, I always wonder if they ever ask for an upgrade. Have you wondered about that? You know, when you, when you get your cataracts done, you know, you remove your cataracts and all the spots in your eyes. Do you ever ask the doctor whether or not they can give you some polarized set of lenses? Like, wouldn't that be just such an upgrade? Or if you get a knee, if you get a knee replacement, do you ever ask for like 20% higher jumping height? Make you a little bit higher, make you a little bit taller? Ever thought about Bluetooth for your tooth implant? Of course, when you ever need a Bluetooth just to get some AM radio into your, into your ears. Well, God is planning the upgrade of all upgrades. The upgrade to end all upgrades, right? He's planned for a resurrection body. What begins lowly ends with the greatest of glory and splendor. The reason why there's such a difference between the sown body and the raised body is because they stem from two different original people, according to verses 44 onwards. The body we have presently reflects that of the first man, Adam, created by God out of the dust of the earth and flawed because of his disobedience against God. We all bear the image of this original man, all made of earthly stuff and sadly following his fallenness. Jesus, on the other hand, he is the life-giving spirit, the one, is of, the one who is of heaven. The resurrected body is of heaven and not earth and bears the image of this last man, Jesus. In other words, the resurrection body is like Jesus' glorious resurrection body. And Jesus is the one who is able to give life that is filled with God's Spirit. The resurrection is superior because Jesus' body is superior. Now, if the resurrection body we can look forward to is so tied up to that of Jesus, then the question I've got to ask is, where are you with Jesus? Whilst the world seeks to make our limited and frail bodies better, the only way to actually achieve it is to submit ourselves to Jesus. He is the one who is the heavenly, life-giving spirit. So we need to ask and to seek that life from him if we are to have any hope of a resurrection body, a body that is greater. So where are you with Jesus? Do you acknowledge? Do you acknowledge him as the resurrected Lord? Do you grasp that he is the only one who can give this kind of life, no other? Because the answer to that question will determine how we see the future of our very own bodies. The resurrection body is important for us, <clears throat> firstly, because it is superior. The second reason why it's important is because no one gets into God's kingdom without it. The body needs to be fit for the kingdom. The kingdom of God is where God's people get to be with God's King Jesus in his presence forever. Uh, despite what we think about God's kingdom, you know, it's, it's more about where Jesus is and the fact that he is king and he is our Lord and our Savior. It's God's creation the way it was intended, but better. 
This new creation has God loving his people with his strength, with his sustenance, and the joy of walking with him in Jesus. A place where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering. Friends, there is no more death. God wants to be really clear that not just anybody can enter his kingdom. Verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The earthly body with its weakness and mortality, with its flesh and blood, cannot receive the kingdom of God. That which dies, which deteriorates and rots, has no place in that which is eternal and perfect. In order for anything to be fit for the kingdom of God, it would need to be eternal and pure and fit for purpose, fit for its location. This idea got me really curious. I'm a bit of a curious person. It got me curious thinking about, I wonder whether anyone here has tried to work out how to make things last longer, how to make things indestructible. So I went to Google. I googled things that make things indestructible. This is what I found. Apparently there's a spray. <laughs> there's a spray called Line X. Have you ever heard of Line X? Yeah, you haven't. Apparently if you use the spray, <laughs> it would make whatever you spray virtually indestructible. Boats, indestructible. Your outdoor table, you know the one that always looks really bad? Indestructible. Bomb shelter, indestructible. Cats, indestructible. Cockroaches, well, they're already indestructible, so they don't need a spray. I can almost see a warning label. What does the warning label say? Do not spray on people. Will not make indestructible. <laughs> I know it's a little obvious. But you know that no one's actually come up with anything that makes people indestructible, right? No one except the Lord God. In order to be fit for the kingdom, human bodies... Well, it would need to be changed into immortal bodies. And the way that the body is changed is in an instant, verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, blink and you will miss it. Earthly bodies will change into resurrection bodies just like that. The trumpet in the Bible is used to signal the coming or returning of Jesus. I mean, that would be one very loud trumpet. That would be the time that God's people are resurrected. And no one, no one's going to miss out. Those who sleep, that is, those who are dead, they will be raised imperishable at the sound of this trumpet. Those who are still alive, well, we don't miss out either. Again, in a moment, we'll all be changed too. It's like the human body will, be, will put on the imperishable, immortal body like a shirt. Bodies dressed, 
dressed for the kingdom of God and fit for its location. I have a tennis friend uh, who asked me once why it is that God doesn't do something about all the pain and the suffering and all the injustice that she saw in the world. And this was a real question for her. It wasn't just some kind of like, you know, theoretical question that people can ask. It was real for her because she had a really close friend whose daughter had terminal cancer and the system was failing her. I wonder what your answer to her would be. What would you say to her? It got me thinking about what she would expect would happen if God actually did do something about it. Perhaps there'd be no young people in ICU because of blood disease, or any disease for that matter, or cancers, but instead just constant health. Maybe that's what she had in mind. Maybe what she had in mind was that there'd be no impulses to harm people. No impulses to extort from them or miscarriages of justice. Just perfect justice and fairness and compassion. I reckon if God did just those things, we'd have a very appreciative world. Wouldn't we? But he does. Does he not? He does even more than that. He deals with death itself and gives us eternity. Why doesn't God do something? Well, friends, isn't his kingdom God doing something? Eternity with no more tears. Can you imagine that? You won't need your tear ducts anymore. No more tears. No more Kleenex. Can you imagine that? Eternity with Jesus as the gracious king, the only king who sacrificed his life to save a people for himself. What did I say to my tennis friend? My answer to her was, well, God actually has done something about it. But I'm not quite sure whether the world likes his answer just to get her thinking. She looked at me a little puzzled. I guess in my mind I thought, you can't just waltz into God's kingdom. We actually need to be changed to be appropriate for it. And yet that's, that's not the thing that will make people upset. What people won't like is what God talks about next. And that is sin and death. And as God talks about sin and death, he actually, what he actually does is he showcases his tremendous grace. He treats us not how we deserve, but mercifully, graciously. Let me explain. Verses 54 to 55 says, <clears throat> When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The resurrection of the body stands in mockery over death. Death that has been so definitive and so certain has been having its way with every single person on earth. Every single person. Well, it's the end of death's reign. There is victory over it. Where once we would only utter the word death with fear and trepidation, it is now trampled upon by the raised people of God. Thus is the glory of the resurrection. The next verse, verse 56, says that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And it's at this point that the world might not like God's answer to suffering. You see, sin is not what TV advertising says it is. Sin is not eating a magnum ice cream. You know that magnum actually came up with like the seven deadly magnums a few years back? Sin is not eating ice cream, okay? (laughs) Sin isn't even merely breaking the law. Sin is all about how we respond to God. It's a relational thing. Sin is a rejection of God or just plainly ignoring him. It's refusing to acknowledge that Jesus is master and king and presuming to be our own master and our own Lord. It's deciding to do what we think and feel is right or just merely doing what we feel like doing. The reason why sin is the sting of death is because death is God's penalty for rejecting him. Sin is all about saying to your creator, shove off. Or even giving him, not even giving him the second second thought. Friends, that is thoroughly offensive to God. Is it not? And then to then treat his creation like we made it and have rights over it. And to do with it whatever we like is a slap in the true creator's face. It is his creation. We are his creation. The appropriate punishment for sin is death. And not just death, eternal death. The reason why people won't like God's answer to suffering is because we are the reason they're suffering in the first place. It's what happens when we give up on God and do things our way. We hurt people. We hurt God's world. Suffering and death exist because of us and our sin. If God is going to fix all the suffering, he needs to fix us. Here's the good news. Verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us the victory over sin and death, not because we are strong, but because he has dealt with both on our behalf. 
He took on the punishment that we deserve for our sin before God. And his resurrection is a victory over death. And he is so generous that he shares that victory with us. Friends, what we can't attain for ourselves, he gives us a resurrection body like his. To receive what he offers, we need only to trust in him as our Lord. He has to be our master. Our gracious, self-giving, powerful, loving master. Forbes magazine, a few years back, had an article titled, Seven Things That Make Great Bosses Unforgettable. Have you ever read that? Seven Things that make great bosses unforgettable. I'm pretty sure you can think of a few. Here's one of those. They stand in front of the bus. Really? Some bosses will throw their people under the bus without a second thought. Great bosses pull their people from the bus's path before they're in danger. And if they can't stop the bus... They'll jump out in front of it and take the hit themselves. I mean, just, just that makes me want to follow this boss. <laughs> Don't you think? Like, if, I think if the world found a boss like this, like you would follow this person wherever that person goes. Like, it, you know, if he moves departments, you'd move department with that person. If he moves companies, you'd move companies with that person. Wouldn't you follow that person, that boss? that would stand in front of the bus for you. Jesus stood in front of the ultimate bus for us. And he came back to life to tell the tale. I can't imagine a better master. You ask any Christian here, Brothers and sisters, would we not follow our master to the ends of the earth? Of course we would. Because he took our punishment for us. And in him we have our victory. The resurrection showcases God's grace through Jesus. The resurrection body, it is superior we needed to be fit for the kingdom. And it showcases God's tremendous grace. So are you ready? Are you ready? Are you sick of following the world's ways because all it leads to is suffering and injustice and pain? Are you ready to submit to the gracious Lord Jesus because he's got some real answers. He's got real solutions to the mess of this world. Are you ready? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we would delight in the resurrection. It is such a highlight, is it not, for us, that we have a raised Christ 
For those of us who are just trying to work out what you think about Jesus, you're not a Christian yet, might I just say that it's wonderful to have you here. We really enjoy having people come in all the time, every week, just coming to have a think about who Jesus is. Friends, if you are ready, if you are ready to walk with Jesus as your Lord, then we want to walk with you. If that is you, chat to the person next to you who brought you along, perhaps. If no one brought you along, come and find me outside. I'd be very happy to walk with you. How about I lead us in prayer? Father, the resurrection of Jesus is glorious. And Father, we give you praise. You are so good and so gracious and merciful to us and so compassionate that you would enable Jesus to share his resurrection body with us. Father, we give you praise that we have true hope, anchored in the Lord Jesus, and it is in his name that we glory and pray. Amen.